Welcome to Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwen. Celebrate food and life by learning about the culinary scene around the world. Speaking with chefs, artists and food makers, farmers, authors and tastemakers who are passionate about everything delicious. A very good weekend to you food lovers. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. This is where informative, entertaining and delicious conversation abounds. So if you love to cook or love to eat, I like to say we can definitely be friends. If you love to listen to scrumptious and fantastically fabulous food conversation, well then, this show is for you. And well, if you just woke up hungry this morning, like I do every day, well, then you're in the right place. Every week, we talk to artisans and authors, to famous chefs and to budding talent. We talk food and wine and cocktails, trends, travel, and more, because I am all about the wonderful world of food, celebrating 20 years in your radio and grateful that you're listening. I'm always serving up seconds at chefjamie.com. And you'll find my daily dish on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Chef Jamie Gwen. But let's get this party started, shall we? I am still hoping to summon in the fall. Actually, we've had some cooler weather here in Southern California where I live as the evenings tend to bring on just a subtle chill. And I do love the change of seasons and, oh, I'm embracing the braise and bring on the hearty rusticity of good fall and autumn meals. And with that said, creamy Parmesan polenta sounds scrumptious right about now. Warm and comforting and creamy and buttery. And good polenta really makes me swoon. So why not get a jump start on the fall season and listen up? Because this is a polenta tutorial. Now, don't get me wrong. I love polenta's American cousin, Grits. But polenta is like wrapping yourself in a blanket. If you gave me a bit right out of the pot, I would melt. I mean, it's just so good, right? And it's about time you forget all the things you've heard about polenta that have left you maybe thinking you'll leave it aside when it comes to cooking. I want to assure assure you, rather, uh, that it couldn't be easier. It does require some attention as it cooks, but not more than, say, your morning pot of steel-cut oatmeal. It's all about the ratio of liquid, could be water or milk or stock, to polenta, and the cooking time. And once you make it, I promise that you'll want to make it a whole lot more. Now, there is something to be said for lots of different styles of polenta. I serve creamy Parmesan polenta. I like it to be cooked through. I don't like any grit. I want lots of cheese and that silky texture. And it's the perfect meatless Monday dish because oftentimes I'll saute a whole big batch of wild mushrooms and I'll serve it family style on a board and it's the ultimate communal dining experience. Or you can top polenta with a perfect Sunday roast chicken and that lemony pan sauce and you have the ultimate supper. And then any leftovers for polenta, they always go to good use. You can make grilled polenta or fried polenta. Uh, Quite frankly, I think you owe it to fall to make a batch of polenta. So in short, 
It is a cornmeal porridge, right? A common dish in northern Italy, frequently eaten with meats and ragu or some sort of a bitey, pungent cheese, often gorgonzola. And it can be eaten freshly cooked as that thick porridge, or it can be cooled where it sets firm. And who doesn't love fried polenta or even high temperature baked? Now, long before corn was brought from the Americas to Europe, polenta was already a staple food. It just wasn't made from corn. The name originally comes from the Latin word for pearled grain, like barley, and the dish, a gruel that could be made with all sorts of grains and legumes, actually dates back to Roman times. Now, It is no longer associated with those grains, right? Just corn. And there are fancy versions of Italian polenta that you can buy, um, which some prefer over the more generic stuff. For all practical purposes, though, any medium ground cornmeal will do. And a lot of stores sell quick or what is called instant polenta. It's an incredibly fine grind of cornmeal. And while I recognize the convenience that it offers, and I'm all about convenience foods, I will say, uh, very honestly, I've never met a quick cooking polenta that I like. I think that this is one of those methods where you just put your heart and soul and sip on a glass of Chardonnay or Pinot Noir into it. So what's important when you're making polenta? The biggest decision, aside from the exact type of cornmeal that you will use, is your choice of liquid. Uh, The Italians will tell you um, that water is the only way, but milk, in my opinion, makes an incredibly rich and creamy polenta that's a lot more of an indulgence on its own. Uh, Chicken stock infuses the polenta with flavor. And they're all perfectly good options. Uh, I happen to like a combination of the two. And so I make polenta with milk and stock. It creates a really creamy, luscious polenta. It's rich and lovely, but the corn flavor still shines through. The next question is all about the ratio. I use a ratio of four parts liquid to one part polenta by volume. The problem with using less liquid is that it almost invariably fails to fully hydrate the cornmeal. And yes, your polenta will thicken faster and appear to be done sooner. But I think that the little bits of dried corn that remain are an unpleasant crunch. Uh, Too little water makes polenta or too little liquid, for that matter, makes polenta that is undercooked and gritty. So if we're using a proper ratio of liquid to cornmeal, the next question is how long do you cook it, right? This is another area that great chefs and cooks love to debate. I say about 20 minutes or so is enough cooking time. I have seen recipes that cook up to an hour, but that seems excessive to me and I don't have that time. And you don't actually have to stir the polenta constantly, but it does require some attention. A stir here and there to keep the polenta from sticking to the bottom of the pot is really enough, right? And that's pretty simple. When it's done, I stir in butter, of course, and Parmesan cheese or sometimes mascarpone. And then I could always add goat cheese or you could add gorgonzola and gild the lily. I season liberally with salt and pepper and voila, it's ready. Now, 
You should know that I have played with every other method of making polenta. There's an oven method, a double boiler method. There's even a microwave method. But on top of the stove is the best. And I like my polenta hot and creamy, as described, with mushrooms or a braised lamb shank or garlicky shrimp served over the top. But firm polenta cut into squares, grilled or fried, luscious too. And if you want to set the polenta up, here's how you do it. You pour the hot polenta onto a rimmed baking sheet. You spread it evenly. You put plastic wrap against the surface, which will prevent a dry skin from forming. And you refrigerate it. And it takes several hours and preferably overnight until it's completely chilled. And then you cut the polenta into squares or triangles or circles. And you can deep fry or pan saute or grill the polenta at this point. The secret is that you do not, and I repeat, do not give in to the temptation to move the polenta if you're sauteing it in olive oil, because it will stick at first and any attempt to move it will cause a tear. You just have to wait. And after a good few minutes of high heat, the polenta will actually release all by itself. And you'll know it's ready because it will come free and offer no resistance when you go to flip it. And as soon as it's browned and crisp on the outside, of course, you're all set. You can dig in. I like to top them with like um, chipotle tomato jam uh, or more crumbled gorgonzola. Or I'll cut them into small squares or rounds and make them the perfect hors d'oeuvre or, you know, snack before dinner. And when you feel that chill outside and you start to crave the warm and hearty, please whip up a batch of creamy, comforting polenta because it is just so good. You will find polenta inspiration at chefjamie.com, C-H-E-F-J-A-M-I-E.com. Or you can always email me, Jamie, J-A-M-I-E at chefjamie.com. Coming up, we are embracing the braise. Braising makes heroes out of weekend cooks, by the way. And one of my dear friends and a brilliant blogger, our resident expert on all things delicious, David Leet is here to dish. When we come back, there is lots more fabulous food and drink in your radio. Chef Jamie Gwen, please don't go away. Create and savor yours. Welcome back, Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. It's a well-kept kitchen secret. Braising makes heroes out of cooks. It's true. There is no other technique that asks so little yet gives so much back. And the basics of braising are simple. Here to share insight and inspiration is one of my favorites. David Leet is a three-time James Beard award-winning food writer and the founder of LeetsCulinaria.com, where he shares hot food and dry wit. He's also the author of The New Portuguese Table and his memoir entitled Notes on a Banana, along with a podcast host. And if you haven't listened yet, you're missing out. It is 
truly delicious conversation. And while David is an expert on many things, his blog has been much adored since 1999. I am so very proud to call him my friend and as much so to have him as a culinary contributor to this show. He's back with delicious brilliance and here to dish. Hello, my friend. Are you currently braising? Is there something in the oven? I wish I could say yes, but no. <laughs> we just got through with all of our uh, Labor Day grilling. So we're going to be moving into the yes. braising this month. Yes. And it is, I will say, it is one of my favorite techniques. I think that you get this succulent masterpiece with patience, right? And sometimes there's no recipe necessary. Yeah. Exactly. And it's so forgiving. Oh, true. That's what's lovely. It's not a la minute. It's not precious. Hmm. It's just a pot, some liquid, some meat, and time. It's true. And you get oohs and ahs, and it's a great way to feed a crowd. And there are a number of cuts, both beef and chicken and pork. I mean, there's, there's so many benefits to so many different proteins. Yeah. So... Let's start at the beginning because we can dial it up with minimal effort, I think. The toughest cuts do often become the most tender when braised. Do you agree? Absolutely. Things like chuck, shank, uh, shoulder. I think all of that over time in the pot just becomes succulent and marvelous and so imbued with flavor. You wouldn't want to put something like a chicken breast or a fish in there. Right. It just wouldn't work. No, but the bigger cuts, which are cost-effective, are the best way to feed Sunday supper and have leftovers. And by the way, my braised meats from leftovers, I know that takes us to the end before we start at the beginning, but my braised meats for leftovers make the best Taco Tuesday tacos ever. Absolutely. That's (sighs) why Sunday supper should become Taco Tuesday. Taco Tuesday, right? It all works in order. You mentioned the pot, like one pot. Yes. And it's true. One something that holds everything snugly. Yeah, they're one pot wonders. Yes, they are. Do you use a Dutch oven? I use a Dutch oven. I use an enamel Dutch oven, cast iron Dutch oven. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I have different sizes. And you said the most important thing is you want everything to fit in there snugly. Yes. Because otherwise it'll end up boiling and you don't want that. And so you want something that just fits all the meat, all the vegetables, everything you're putting in there. And that's the right size for whatever you're doing. And um, a lid or not to lid, that is the question. That is the question. And I lid on the stove. Yes. I'll use a lid when I'm on the stove. But many times when I'm doing it in the oven, I will just put foil on top. Or sometimes I'll cut a circle of parchment with a tiny hole in the middle. Oh, yes. And put that right on top and slide it in the oven. And that also works, too. It allows evaporation, but it keeps enough moisture in yeah, that's very smart. And that's a very classic technique, French-inspired. Very, and very French, and I yes. agree with that very much. You mentioned stovetop or oven. The goal mm-hmm. to bra- in braising is to allow mm-hmm. the liquid to simmer slowly and to mm-hmm. infuse the moisture into the meat, of course, over a long, slow process. You right. can do it on the right. stovetop or in the oven. Uh, but I think you and I have agreed in the past and will still today the oven is hands off. It's so much right. easier. That's what I love about it. Yes. And it keeps your kitchen clean as far as like space so you can make something else. While that's going on, you can start doing mashed potatoes or you can do um, glazed carrots or something. So therefore you have other things 
working on the stove, even something for dessert you can have. And um, so that, that's why I prefer to put it in the oven. Yeah, that's um, the smartest way. I agree. And then um, I think the quintessential, before we dig into some recipes, the quintessential part of braising, aside from the patience of a two or a three or a four hour braise, is mm-hmm. for looks and flavor, which matter, by the way, you, yep. you must brown and you can't rush the browning. Yep. That's the only place you're going to have that chance for that caramelization because once yes. you start adding your liquid, whatever that is of choice, if it's wine, uh, stock, water, whatever it is, it's going to start loosening that up. So you want to get as much caramelization on your meat as possible. And so I always oversear. So it's really, really seared. And there's a great fond on the bottom of the pot, you mm. know, those, those crispy bits on the bottom and that yes. brown on the bottom, because that starts the base of wonderful, wonderful sauce. Yes. Oh, I agree. That's one of my favorite food words, culinary words, David, fond. Fond, right? Oh, fond? I love that word. Yes. And it is, it's so delicious that you mm-hmm. want to make sure that you develop it. How long would you say you mm-hmm. take in, in minutes to overseer? I would say about 30 minutes. I would too. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I, about 30 minutes. It depends how big the pieces are, how many pieces. But I, you definitely, you can, it's really seared. On the outside, it looks perfectly, fully, fully cooked. And of course, it's not. But yeah, when you get that nice, thick crust, in, on the meat, and then in the pot, you have that beautiful fond. That's when you know you're you're doing some good stuff. And do you always add a base of flavor? Like, do you do um, onions, carrots, celery? Do you do you always? Yes, I do too. Because I think, and root vegetables, especially as we come into the fall and autumn season. Fall, yeah. Oh, like pars- parsnips in every wanna, braise, David. You definitely onions and garlic, which in Portuguese is called. That's always in there. And then carrots. And then I vary what the root vegetables are depending upon what the final dish is going to be. Like if I'm doing like chickens, you know, uh, if I were braising chicken and tomatilla with tomatillas, I wouldn't use, let's say, carrots in that. I would do onions, garlic, and the tomatilla, something like that. But, um, yeah, so I think it depends upon what the meat is and what, what you're going for as far as the flavor or the style of it. But absolutely, and I think it's important, too, to really know what liquids you're going to be adding in there. I like to add a combination of stock, homemade stock if I have it, and some wine. Mm. I think that's really important because I think you get both both things marrying, you know, putting going into matrimony together yes. and uh, getting very uh, mellow and very really just marvelous and adding such a richness to it. And, of course, red wine goes so great with the, the, the red the red meats, the lambs, the beef, mm. the white wine for some of the chickens and, and other, even pork, sometimes white wine with pork. Of course, milk with pork. We've talked about that before, too. Oh, David, I love that we're talking braises. I feel like we're ushering fall. Please stay with us. We need to take a quick break when we come back. More on the brilliant braising technique with David Leet, you and me, Chef Jamie Gwen, in your radio.
We're back and we're dishing with the delicious brilliance that is David Leet, award-winning food writer and the founder of Leet's Culinaria, sharing inspiration for one of my favorite techniques, the well-kept kitchen secret that makes heroes out of weekend cooks. Oh yes, we're braising. I love a milk braise. A milk mm. braised chicken for Sunday night when you when you mm, that I know you've said this and I <sighs> got to make it. I didn't make it last week. Oh, the milk braised chicken when you take off the lid and you blend the sauce with an immersion blender. And it's like, Mm. it almost brings back the summer season sense. Like when you do white sauce on chicken on the grill, it's like that for fall. Oh, milk braised chicken makes my mouth water. Are you emulsifying like the small... Yeah. And the milk. And yes, and the, the curdle. The and everything. And the curdle oh, and the garlic cloves yeah. in copious amounts mm. that get really tender like you would roasted yeah. garlic. And the whole thing yeah. comes together like you need more than a loaf of bread to dip <laughs> and plunge and sop up right. that sauce. Yeah. I love your yeah. idea of stock and wine. And I think you make a, a really important point. The richness mm. of the stock offsetting the acid of the wine. And if you're not a yeah. wine drinker or user, uh, a lot of great cooks will use vinegar to add, yeah. right, to add acid mm-hmm. or, in, in addition, tenderness to that meat yeah. over the long, slow cook. Yeah. And yeah. people have also used cider, like pork braised, um, yes. uh, apple braised cider. Oh, I'm yeah. sorry, apple cider braised pork. Yeah, no, makes me tongue tied. Wonderful in the fall. Oh, beautiful! Yes, and apple cider like from the farmers market, from the actual artisan cider maker. (gasps) Yes. Oh, bring it on! Incredible. Okay, if if you've just tuned in, you're late because we're starving. David Leet is (laughs) here. (laughs) LCCooks.com, Leet's Culinaria, of course, um, the world famous blogger that brings so much deliciousness and now a hit podcaster. We're going to tell you all about it. Uh, But back to the braise. So what's on your Mm -hmm. menu for fall? Like as the season changes, David, what is the first thing you think to make? Like, oh my gosh, I can't wait to have blank. I am not Jewish, although all of my Jewish friends Say I should be. Yes, I think you should but, be, and I'm a Jewish friend. Right. Okay, thank you. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm, as my friends say, I'm a Jew wannabe or Jew to be. Yes, they, they say I am. And I, the the one dish that I cannot wait to make when it gets a little bit cooler is knock Waxman's beef brisket. Have mm-hmm. you ever made it? I have not, but you've told me about oh. it offline before. And when you say it, I I can oh. feel the smile. Oh, it's so simple. You <laughs> just sear this. It's the first cut brisket, yes. uh, beef brisket. You sear it really, really, really well. You, you flour it first, then you sear it, salt and pepper. And then what he does, he has lots of onions that he chops, slices up, and then he takes tomato paste, and he just, as if you were, like, using a palette knife, you know, your offset spatula, and you just put it all over the top. You put the onions around the side and a bunch of garlic and one carrot peel, just one. You cover it, you put it in the oven. Halfway through, you take it out. And you slice it into quarter-inch slices or eighth-inch slices. And, and then you stack them up like, uh, like splayed-out playing cards. Then you put them back in. You, you take some of the sauce and the braising liquid, and then you put it over. You put it back in. Mm. And because it's all cut up across the grain, mm-hmm. it's tender. And then it goes in and cooks more. So the flavor just gets into every Cranny. single slice. Oh. 
Talk so about you know how you have those middle parts of, of brisket, and you're like, well, the outside tastes great, but right? It just tastes like beef. Of course, yeah. Not no, it per- it permeates. That is super smart. Well, and with the Jewish holidays upcoming, that is a exactly absolutely perfect recipe. And there might be so nothing we're be better. We're going to be celebrating the Jewish holidays. Yes, <laughs> we're not Jewish, but we're going to celebrate <laughs> in in true Portuguese style. I love it. Exactly. There is nothing, almost nothing, better than a leftover brisket sandwich because you have oh, the Jew. Right? Yeah. Oh my absolutely. gosh, there is just something so succulent about it. Okay, brisket's first on the list. What's next? There's also a, a dish that I love to make, which I actually make sometimes in the summer, is braised chickens with tomatillas, mm. which is just a lovely, lovely dish. And it's chicken legs, or it's, we like chicken thighs in ours, but it takes, it's got, it's very um, Tex Mexican, Tex Mexican flavor. Love it. Mexican. Is that a term? I think it is. It's Tex-Mexi. Tex-Mexi. And it's got tomatillas, and it's Mm. got cilantro and cumin and lime juice. Nice. And then the chicken and chicken stock, and you just braise it until until the tomatillas fall apart. Mm. And you get that wonderful jus, and you can serve it over cooked white rice or with tortillas, and you can shred it, and it's just lovely. So it's a good summer in warmer weather braise also, because you maybe don't want to have it in the winter, um, but I love it in the winter. So that's a lovely way for those people who don't like red meat. Yeah, no, and I, I like that bright flavor come fall. It gives you just mm-hmm. a, a freshness. And talk about Taco Tuesday yeah. leftovers. Oh, I want to exactly. pile that on red cabbage, like the leftover mm. chicken shredded on red cabbage sure. and do some sort of, oh, I don't know. It needs like a crema and, oh. I'm thinking of... Uh, yeah, crema, uh, crema uh, uh, drizzle would be lovely on that. Yes, and then it now, needs something sweet. do you have sweet. a slow cooker? Oh, of course, but I use my pressure cooker more than my slow cooker. Yeah, I do too, but you can also make some of these braises too in a slow cooker. Oh, good point. Uh, which we, I, I'm only seeing that in the recipe here uh, on the site, and uh, we added that because a lot of people always ask, so you can make this one. Not, not everything can be made in a slow cooker. Uh, and, or made well, but this one definitely can be made in a slow cooker. Oh, that's smart. You know, there there is a an ongoing slow cooker movement that started a long time ago that I don't think mm. will ever fade. And right. that is for cooks who really like to start something, set it, and forget it, right? And, right. and come back yeah. six hours later. And I think there's a beauty to it. So if you could find a couple of signature recipes that your family loves that lend themselves to the slow cooker, you're golden, for the next, mm. you know, two months. Easy, right? Yeah, because you put them on repeat, and they're, yep. be- they're beloved, those flavors. We have a recipe on the site for slow cooker chicken stock. And oh, you throw in your chicken bones, yes. vegetables, you turn it on. Yeah, and, and leave it's it. great. For me, you know, I don't really use our slow cooker very much because I like to... I call it Katayana. I like to like look under the, the <laughs> lid and peek and pull out and poke and prod. So I like that participation, even if it's, you know, set it and forget it in the oven. I like that participation part of, of the cooking. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I want to I watch it and see it come to life. I agree with you yeah. for sure. Um, a little chicken inspiration, please, for the best braises. Sure. Um, definitely, I think really dark meat works better than light meat. I don't think chicken breast braise as well as the legs or the thighs. Yes. So I would suggest that I know some people don't like that. If they don't like dark meat, go for the thigh because the thigh is kind of like a light dark meat or a dark light meat. So hmm. I would go with thighs. 
And are you um, are you and, doing Coco Van or? Oh, Coco Van is all yeah, yeah. absolutely. Coco Van is another great dish that you can do. Now that the definitely best. to me really skews skews fall. Yes, because you have the onions, you have the carrots, you have the lardon, and um, and that's mm. great. With the recipe on the site is classic Julia Child, oh, so it's a Julia that. Child recipe, and you can't go wrong with it. And uh, it's just it's got a rich, very hearty broth. And, again, this is one of those things that benefits to me very, very heavy searing of the chicken because it really does add to that. And, of course, the, all the vegetables that you add to it and the wine that you add to it just adds so much. And she puts in a quarter cup of cognac or armagnac. And I do, really don't like to cook with, like, liquor, but I find in this case the cognac does add something really special to the Oh, I, I would have to agree. You know, my mother is a fabulous cook, and she always added a splash of cognac. There was always cognac on the bar, and she always added a splash of cognac to uh, Coco Van. And I think that my mother makes the classic Julia Child as well. Um, that and chicken cacciatore was the other yeah. famous braise when I was growing up. Yeah, chicken cacciatore, absolutely. I love talking food with you. Um, thank you for oh, always coming back and sharing your passion. You can find sure. David Leeds Daily Dish of Deliciousness at lccooks.com or leedsculinaria.com. Um, for fabulous reads, please check out his books, of course, on social at David Leet and the podcast directly linked from lccooks.com, right? So that we mm-hmm. can um, eat with our ears. Any that you get your podcast on. Too. Okay, good. Good, good, good. We definitely have to talk turkey um, and dish on sides, so we'll plan it. There is more David Leet sure. coming up in your radio. Thank you, thank you, my friend. Thank ha- you. Happy As cooking. Always. Thank you, as always. You too, sweetheart. Thank you. Talk to you soon. As the delicious conversation continues, there is so much more to sink your teeth into right after this. Don't go away. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. Thanks for listening. Welcome back, Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. Grab a glass and cheers to you. Chris Vola is here. He is the head bartender at Little Branch, the underground hot spot cocktail bar, and also the author of six books. You know him from his New York City escapades, of course, and his new release is Genius. Not that you need a good reason to pour yourself a cocktail. Chris is going to give you 365 literal reasons to shake things up. That's right. Chris is one of the top bartenders in the country, in fact, and it is his goal to make every day a special occasion. Okay, I'm in. Your favorite holiday obviously requires a libation. What is today to celebrate? But you can shake things up, your cocktail routine, just elevated 
from Absurdity Day on November 20th to Africa Day on May 25th to Women's Day, one we celebrate on August 9th, and of course, Zoo Lover's Day on April 8th. (laughs) He shares recipes for timeless classics, twists on familiar favorites, creative concoctions, historical events, pop culture icons, and more. And he's honoring every day with a celebration. The new book is entitled Cheers to Today. The author, Chris Vola, his seventh, in fact, uh, his seventh prose of perfection. And I am truly delighted that Chris is joining us live. Cheers to you. So glad to have you, Chris. Hi, Jamie. Great to be here. Thank you so Thank much. You. Yes, of course. And congratulations. The book is fabulous. I can't wait to leave it um, on the counter in the kitchen, open it up to every day. This is like the, the step above the paper daily calendar of national holidays, right? And mix a drink. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, I, I really like to make drinking a, uh, a celebratory experience and, you know, anything that can make it a little more socially acceptable, <laughs> you know, give, give you a reason to drink. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm all for that. Yes. Okay. So, um, salut to that. I love that the book starts with the basics. You talk barware and ingredients and techniques. And you mentioned a couple of things because I've read almost cover to cover now. I marked my calendar for those special days, you know, um, for sweeteners and syrups. And I, I would love for you to give us some bartender tricks up your sleeve. Like, Orjat, is it called, the almond-based syrup? Yeah, um, Orjat is, is an almond-based syrup. Um, it's uh, a great way to sweeten drinks, but also give it a, a really um, a great nutty flavor. Um, you can make it at home, but um, it's a really complicated process. So I always recommend, you know, there's a lot of great Orjats that you can buy just at, at your local liquor store. Um, but, yeah, it's just a way, it's a way mm. to... To give something a little extra, extra bit of flavor that maybe something like simple syrup just won't won't be able to provide. Sure, a little extra oomph. I love that you use maple syrup in your cocktails. That we're we're not making either, like you say, and I no. quote: "Unless you happen <laughs> Unless to live in a maple forest." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, not too many of those around most parts of the country. No, 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 no. I love the quick-witted humor throughout the book. By the way, I chuckled all the way through. Um, but I do want to make honey syrup. And I like that idea of uh, a change from the traditional simple syrup. That's another one, too, and, and it's very easy to make. Um, it's just three parts of honey and one part of hot water. Um, you just combine the ingredients and stir until it's well blended, um, and that's good for up to five days. And you can, you can use that in pretty much any drink that you're going to have a sweetener. I mean, I think it's a great, it's a great option. Fabulous. Uh, okay, let's, um, let's mix a drink, shall we? These are some of the holidays that I cannot wait to celebrate with you. Just some. We need to go back for a moment to March 8th, please, so we can have a Ramos gin fizz with you. That March 8th is actually Be Nasty Day. <laughs> um, and I think it's a fun holiday because most of the days in the book are about, you know, sparking joy or community or celebration. And this one is just, just about being a huge jerk to people. Um, and if you're in the cocktail world, you know that a Ramos gin fizz that people dread making this drink. It's like nine ingredients, including messy ones like cream, egg white. You have to dry shake it, which means shaking it without ice. Then you have to shake it with ice even harder. Then you have to 
pour it in the glass, pour club soda on top, and <laughs> tap out the air bubbles from the club soda, put it in a freezer for several minutes so the cream separates and rises to the top. Then you have to take it back out and create a foamy top by pouring just enough club soda into the top again. So it, I, I guess the idea is that if you want to be nasty to a bartender on Be Nasty Day, have them make make one of these. Okay, just one day a year are we allowing such behavior, by the way, right? That's, yeah, I think one is enough. Well, one all. is enough. I happen to love a gin fizz, though, so I don't... Oh, it's deli- I mean, it's delicious. It's delicious. It's, it's probably one, one of my favorite drinks to make, my least, or my, my favorite to drink, my least favorite to, to make. make. <laughs> right, of course. Yeah. Spoken clearly yeah. from a top bartender in the U.S. <laughs> Talk about the perfect gift for the holidays for the Uh, cocktail aficionado or the mixologist in your life. The new book from Chris Vola is just about to release. It's entitled Cheers to Today, 365 cocktails because every day is a holiday, as he says, and I agree. Please check it out. It is really, truly fabulous. And follow Chris on social so that you can certainly follow the uh, cocktail escapades. You'll find him at ChrisV85 on Instagram, ChrisV85. So much fun, Chris. I can't wait to toast you again uh, before the end of the year. You already promised you'd come back, so I'm going to hold you to it. Oh, I, I can't wait. It's going to be a lot of fun. And, awesome. Uh, thank you so much for having me. This was, this was a lot of fun. And so that brings us to the end of another hour of juicy conversation. And I do hope that you loved tuning in. But don't go yet. Let me leave you with my last bite, my last ounce or tidbit of gastronomic inspiration for the week. This is my four ingredient peanut butter banana oatmeal cookie. You see, these peanut butter banana oatmeal cookies are a new favorite of my son. And if you're looking for the perfect healthy treat, they are a great snack for school or work or a lunchbox or a Saturday hike or a a sunset stroll. They're made from mashed ripe bananas, your favorite nut butter, a little bit of honey, some quick cooking oats, some really good dark chocolate chips, and a pinch of salt. And they bake super quick, but they turn out delectably chewy and delicious. And I'm sharing the recipe for these four ingredient peanut butter banana oatmeal cookies on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where I hope you'll become a friend and a fan on social, at Chef Jamie Gwen. So check it out. I will meet you here at the table, as I hope you will sit down and dish with us in my kitchen next weekend. And until then, I'm Chef Jamie Gwen signing off. I thank you for listening, and I hope you continue to eat well. Well.